Amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, let's get after it. Uh, we'll go to Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback underneath the seat around you. Uh, you're more than welcome to grab one of those and flip with us. Uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 13. You'll notice this is part 20 of our Acts series. It's a very sad number to me. We're in chapter 13. Uh, so, but we're working through it. We're preaching through the book of Acts right now, um, and, and we're making our way. We're making our way. So we'll finish up chapter 13 this morning. Um, as Paul has started his first missionary journey, uh, and we'll see what happens as he continues to travel and continues to preach the gospel. Now, uh, I teach high school during the fall and the spring. Before I did that, I had an itinerant speaking ministry, um, and so I would go speak at youth camps and, and, and retreats and conferences and little denials and things like that. And what's interesting is that in the Christian speaking world, you have kind of a celebrity structure. Um, and so there's, I don't know, does anybody remember, there's this old TV show, Kathy Griffin, My Life as a D-List Celebrity. Um, I'm not endorsing it. I don't think it was a great show. <laughs> but her thing was that in celebrities, you have like A-List celebrities, like Brad Pitt. Everybody knows him, right? You can't go anywhere. Everyone, there's paparazzi, people can get in your autograph. And then a D-List celebrity would be someone who's kind of famous, but they don't get the same treatment as like a real celebrity. And so they actually call a restaurant and say, hey, I'm coming. Why don't you get ready to make a big deal when I show up, maybe call some paparazzi, things like that. And in the Christian world, you have that kind of same celebrity kind of structure. And so you have the big name speakers. I mean, these are the guys everybody wants to listen to. They get thousands of podcast downloads during the week. Everyone invites them to come speak at their camp. And then you have B and the C and kind of the D-list speakers. And so starting out, um, if you want to be an itinerant speaker, you have to really work your networks and, and make contacts with people and really kind of work the system. And what ends up happening is a lot like, I think, musicians or, or comics, I think might be a better um, analogy, is you end up taking every gig that you can get, okay? And, and just a lot of little kind of weird little opportunities. Hey, if they want you to come speak, you'll go drive and you'll go speak. And so you end up in, in some kind of funny situations. I was asked once to speak at a combined elementary and middle school. And I was going to, uh, the chapel service that they were doing um, during the week. And as I pulled up to the chapel service that morning, um, I, I could tell that there were parents getting out of their cars and heading on inside. And it was odd to me. I didn't know why that all these hundreds of parents were showing up and, and making their way to the gymnasium in the middle of the day. Surely they don't come to all the different chapels. And so I walked in, and, and the, the gentleman who had invited me to come speak walked up to me shaking his head. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. And he says, I'm so sorry, this completely slipped my mind. Today is MLK Junior like appreciation day at the school. And we've been mailing out to all of the families of the school for weeks, inviting them to this big celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. and said, we're bringing a speaker to teach our kids about Martin Luther King Jr. Is there any way that you could talk about Martin Luther King Jr. today? And so here's literally the scene. I'm in the, the worship bands on the stage. They're singing. They're rocking out. I'm in the very back of the gym by the soundboard looking at Wikipedia on my iPhone. The Martin Luther King Jr. page. I know, I know about him, but just checking my facts. So I don't. And so I was, I was planning on reading a psalm. And then, I mean, it's, they're little kids. So you got to go to basic truths. And I, was, I had a couple basic truths. going to read the psalm and, and kind of talk to him about it. And so I'm up there. And I'm reading the verse. And I go, guys. God loves sinners, and he loves the broken and the lost and the bullied. And you know else? You know who else loves the lost and the bullied? <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and I'm reading a verse, and I'm like, here's my second point, guys. God wants you to love other people. And you know who else wants you to love other people? <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. 
I actually have a theory that there's not a whole lot of statements that people say about God that you can't apply somehow to Martin Luther King Jr. If you're ever in that situation. Um, there was another time I got invited to do a D-Now at a, a, a church here in northern Houston. And we met at the church for the first couple sessions. And then for the third one on Saturday, we were going to go to a lake and have like a day at the lake. And then at the end, we'd have a session with worship and I would speak. Well, we got to the lake and weren't aware that they were also having like a, a, a big party at the lake. Like a college type party. Like not a camp type party. A Christian camp. And so that's going on right across the way there at the lake. And they also brought in a big DJ. And speakers everywhere. And were just blasting music the entire time. And so the youth pastor walks up to me maybe 30 minutes before it's time for our last session. And says, hey, I know this is not ideal. But you're going to have to preach here. I mean, there's nowhere for us to go with the music and everything going on. And I learned that day... It's difficult to preach with sexy, and I know it, bumping the back. It's even harder when the next song is LL Cool J's Mama Said Knock You Out. I just learned in one quick moment who's, who knows LL Cool J, okay? That's not useful information, but it's interesting information. So I'm, I'm preaching, and I'm like, guys, the scriptures tell us to avoid impurity. And it's like, da, da, da. That's a good example right there, okay? <laughs> Don't say things like that. Don't. And so all that to say, I spent a couple years of my life being a D-list Christian um, speaker, okay? And so I know when I'm out of my league, all right? There are certain speakers, and while celebrity status and cult of personality, those things are not great and, and probably should be avoided in the church, there are a few people of God who are just gifted, I mean, they can just speak and preach and bring the word, and, and thousands of people want to listen to them, and, and it's just because... They've been anointed. They're gifted. They can do that very well. Uh, and so, um, in fact, there's a, a, a pastor in Dallas, uh, Matt Chandler, whoever they like. And for some strange reason on iTunes, our church, a couple of you, our church got listed right under theirs if you searched um, for Matt Chandler Church. And it said, Village Church, FC Cube. And I was like, oh, yeah, there it is. Because that's an A-list, right? We're down on the, the D-list. Um, <laughs> All that, that took way too long, but <laughs> Acts 13 today, we're going to get a long sermon from Paul, okay? If we're ranking Christian speakers, Paul's A-list, all right? Paul is out of my league, out of our leagues, okay? Here's what I want us to do. As we, we look at the end of Acts 13, I don't want us to look at Paul and Barnabas' missionary strategy and talk about like how maybe we can be missionaries in our context. What I want us to do is listen to their sermon, his sermon, I want us to receive their sermon, okay? I want us to be the audience there and just take in what it is that, that Paul is saying here this morning. So we'll pick it up in Acts 13, um, in verse 13. So I'm going to take the week off. We'll let Paul do the preaching this morning, all right? Verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Okay, real quick, um, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. They just went to Cyprus where they preached there. They um, met and converted the proconsul um, Sergius Paulus. Now they go to Antioch in Poseidon which is in the Galatia area, okay? Now, when Paul writes his letter to the Galatians, he's writing to these churches. This is where he is right now, starting up these churches. It was kind of a random choice, if you look at it on the map, why he goes to Antioch and Pisidia. But we do know Sergius Paulus had land and influence in Antioch. 
So possibly they're hanging out with Sergius in Cyprus, and he goes, hey, you should go up to Antioch and Pisidia. I've got some stuff over there for you. Go tell these people what you've told me. So they make their way up there. They come to a synagogue. You'll remember they go to the Jewish people first. They go to the synagogues. They sit down. There's a reading from the law and the prophets, so they have their liturgy going on. And then they say, hey, would you like to, to preach? Would you like to tell us something? This word of encouragement, you see this here in um, verse what is that? Verse 15? That's the same term that the author of Hebrews calls his book. He says, this is my word of encouragement for you. It's a sermon. It's an exhortation. Um, and so they give the floor to Paul. He gets up, motions with his hand, which is awesome because he has cool hand motions Okay, that he does. Um, and then he says this. Here's his sermon. He starts it off. Men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out. And for about 40 years, he put up with them. That's a great way of, of describing it. He put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus as he promised. Now, we, sometimes I think we, we've spiritualized that word savior and we use it so much that it's kind of a junk drawer term. I mean, just savior. We're so used to it. Think rescuer, okay? Think the one who's coming and redeeming and freeing, the rescue. He's come. It's Jesus. He's here. Verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Okay, so Paul starts out a sermon by going back into the history of Israel and showing them that what's happening now is the fulfillment of a long story of waiting and promise and hope and expectation. A lot like um, Stephen does when he preaches before he's stoned. He goes back and tells the story again and shows how it leads up to Jesus and to his death and to his resurrection. And so he says, um, if you look in history, you look at the history of Israel, you see that God has been preparing his people. There's this pattern. He prepares his people and then brings them a king, one who will rule over them and accomplish his will. And we had King David, who was not perfect by any means, if you'll remember the story of King David, but who was, for their purposes, kind of their ideal king. And they had hoped, they had promises, Second Samuel 7, among others, that one day great King David would have a greater son who would come and be the perfect king, the eternal king, who would do in full and in truth what David was only able to do in, in partiality, in shadow, in parody. And Paul says, he's come. This king we've been waiting for, the rescuer, the savior, he's come. It's Jesus. He has done it. He keeps going. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation, this rescue, this redemption. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And, through, and though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Verse 30, But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him 
from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. So again, he's telling the story. He's telling the events of what's happened. The Savior, this King has come. He's died and he's resurrected. And this all happened in Jerusalem. And now we're the witnesses. We're going out and telling all the people. And now here's what's going to happen in the rest of the sermon. We're going to get, these are the facts. Now we're going to get an announcement, an invitation, and a warning. Okay? And they're just going to rattle off one after the other. An announcement, some news, an invitation, and then a warning. Here's the announcement, verse 32. We bring you the good news, the announcement, the message. Heads up, this is happening. Here's the gospel, the good news, that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have begotten you, Psalm 2, worth reading, worth memorizing, worth meditating on. God sends his son to be his king, to set up his kingdom, to rule over the world. And as for the fact, verse 34, that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Here's the announcement. Now, here's the invitation, starting in verse 38, all right? Announcement, invitation, verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. If you're working in the ESV with me, you'll note there's a, a note. There's a number after that word freed. You can go down. It, it probably says in the Greek it might mean justified as well. Literally, it's probably justified. It could also mean put to right. In him, things are made free. In him, things are justified. In him, broken things, wrong things are now corrected, are now made right. By him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Announcement, there was our invitation. Ready? Verse 40, here's our warning. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I'm doing a work in your days, a work which, will, which you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Okay, let's look at these three parts in a little bit more depth. Um, first, the announcement. He says, here's the good news. Here's the announcement. Here's what's happened that you need to know about. Throw this on the 5 o'clock news. Jesus has died. He's raised up again. And everything you've been promised is now happening. It's coming true right here, right now, right under your nose. So, so what were the promises given to Israel? What were they waiting for and expecting? If we wanted to simplify it, what they had been promised and were hoping for was that everything that had gone wrong with creation, God creates a good creation, humans sin and rebel, and now all kinds of things start to spiral out of control. Everything that had gone wrong with creation was going to be fixed. God would come into our space, would invade what we've done wrong, and say, no more, let's do this again. He would rescue. He would save. He'd get rid of the bad and bring the good. And so the Jewish people um, 
had kind of different things develop around this promise. One of the things is, is they believed that God would send a Messiah, a king, a Christ, who would do this. The king would come and he would bring the rescue, the salvation. He would do God's will like David was supposed to. He would be the man after God's own heart. He would bring the rescue that the world was so anxious for, that the world so desperately needed. Now, put on your thinking caps, okay? Your biblical scholar caps. We're going to do a little bit of thinking. Stay with me. It'll pay off for us. The Jewish people saw history as one big line, okay? It's linear. It had a beginning and it had a goal. It's going somewhere. It's not a big cycle. It's not a big circle. It's, not a, it's just not meaningless. It started and it's going somewhere. And in that line, they broke up history into two distinct parts. Two ages, if you will. Two time periods. The first was called the evil age or the present evil age and and there were a few ways you could know if you were in the present evil age a few signposts if you're the jokes like you know you're a texan if you say y'all and you do this or you do that you wear cowboy hats stuff like that well there are a few ways that you could know if you were in the present evil age if you've ever seen a child die or had to mourn the death of a child check you're in the present evil age if you've experienced poverty if you've went through it or if you've seen it check you're in the present evil age if you've witnessed or had to experience abuse relations breaking down check if you feel far and abandoned from god if you're controlled and enslaved by sin check you're in the present evil age the time ruled by sin the time when god's good creation has gone awry but there was going to be a break. He would send a Messiah, there would be a break in history, and a new age would come. The age to come. The new age. The life of the kingdom. The life of eternity. And, and there were signposts to know when you were in the new age as well. In the new age, the Holy Spirit would be present. You remember the prophecies and the prophets? He would be within the believers. They'd have God's full power and presence within them. In the new age, children would play with snakes. Lions would lay down with lambs. There'd be peace. There wouldn't be war, strife, fighting. There'd be peace. In the new age, there wouldn't be sickness. In the new age, there won't be death. If, you, if you're experiencing that, you can check off the box and you can know where you are on the map of history. I'm in the new age. And, and the Jewish people were expecting one big decisive moment. The king comes, God invades, bam, we're no longer in this old age, now we're in the new age. Now, Paul and the early Christians modify this theory a little bit they hold to it but they modify it based on their experience with jesus because if you'll remember as we've been going through acts do the early believers have the holy spirit oh yeah big time are the prophecies from the prophets being fulfilled in them are they speaking in tongues are they having visions are they prophesying are they casting out the sick and the demons oh yeah it's happening but are they being persecuted is there still sickness and death around them? Does one of their own even die at the hands of, of the, the worldly leaders? Oh yeah, it's all there too. And they started to wonder how it could be that the new age was here, but the old age was here, here, here as well. And so, so what they did here is, is maybe this will be a good analogy. Imagine two plates, like two uh, tectonic plates like underneath the earth, okay? And, and they're against each other. And with Jesus, with the Spirit, what has happened is they've so pushed on each other that there's been an earthquake of sorts, and they've gone like that, and they've overlapped for a moment. And here and now, in the present evil age, a new age has begun and is available. 
it started. But they're both running parallel for the moment. So there's a diagram in the, in, inside your, your worship guide here. If you've got a pen, we can fill out some labels here. If you like diagrams, you're in for a treat, okay? <laughs> there are a few things in the New Testament I don't think can fit in on this diagram somewhere very well. This bottom line here, running horizontally, is the present evil age, okay? This is the age of sin and death, sadness, grief, mourning. And you'll notice there's a, a, the first kind of vertical line that hits it. That would be Jesus' first coming, his life, his death, his resurrection. And with his first coming, a new line starts up above, right? It's parallel. This would be the age to come, the kingdom. And this is what Paul says happens when Jesus raises from the dead. It's here. The spirit is now available. Peace and joy are now available. New creation is now available. Healing is now available. The defeat of death is now upon us. But there's this overlap. They've, they've gone like that. The, the second um, vertical line that you meet would be Jesus' second coming, his return. And notice at his return, the present evil age ends. And the age to come, the kingdom, is free to continue on for eternity, unhindered, in completion. There's a dot in the middle of the box here. This is, this is where we are, okay? This is the sign, you are here, all right? Yeah. If you're wondering, you are here. And, and, and this is the announcement. This is the good news. The age to come has started. God's promises are being fulfilled. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can have freedom. You can have the Spirit. You can have the life that you've been hoping for, that you've been praying for, that you've been reading about. It's happened here in front of us. Notice with that announcement is an implicit invitation to join in. Flip real quick, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1. It'll be to your right just a bit. Remember, when Paul's writing to the Galatians, he's writing probably to some of these churches in, uh, here in Antioch, Pisidia, and also in chapter 14 in Iconium. In Galatians 1, we'll look at verse 3, and, but really verse 4 here. He says this to these churches, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, here it is. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver, to free, to rescue us from, what is it? the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Flip to the right, a couple more books Colossians chapter 1, you'll pass Ephesians you'll pass Philippians, you'll hit Colossians we'll be in chapter 1 we look at verse 13 here Paul says this he has delivered us he's rescued us, he's transferred us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what happens when one believes and one is united with Christ is they're taken from the present evil age and adopted. They're transferred. They're on a train. Another train starts running beside it, and they, they jump ship. They get on a new train. They live in now a new reality, a new experience. And, and again, we have characteristics. We have signposts for that. Here's how you know in a lifestyle, in your life, if you're living in the age to come. Paul would say in the Galatians, it's the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hey. Anybody? <laughs> yeah, if your life, if your heart, if your mind, if your relationships are characterized by love, if you control and own peace, if you're the proud owner of gentleness and self-control, 
this is a good indicator you've been transferred. You've been taken out of the present evil age. Now it's still there around you. I mean, you're still coexisting with it, but fundamentally you're in a new reality, a new relationship, a new life. You're experiencing different things. Of course, there are signposts to know that you're not there, that you're still in the present evil age, the, the works of the, the, the flesh. If there's a lot of lying and cheating and adultery, if you're enslaved by sinful desires and have no real repentance about it, these are good signs that, that you're still in the present evil age, that you have not been transferred out. So the announcement, everything you've been hoping for, it's starting to happen. Sometimes what we've done as the church is we have so pushed back the work of salvation to when we die or to when like everyone's dead at the end of TikTok time, okay? That's when we'll really experience eternal life and salvation and, and all of God's promises. But that is fundamentally not what the early church was thinking about and experiencing. They saw life, full new creation, new life available to them here and now. And when we understand, and we'll get to this, eternal life, we'll see this um, as we finish off the chapter in, in Acts 13. We think of eternal life. That's one of those, another words like Savior that, that's kind of slipped our minds. We think of this kind of bodiless life after we're all dead in, in ageless, timeless eternity. When eternal life, if you read the scriptures, is something the early believers think they're in right now. If you go back and read John 14. Maybe a better translation would be life of eternity. It's the life of the kingdom, the life of the new age. It's the age to come. And we possess it now. We're investing in it now. Michelle said at one of our elephant in the rooms, we're practicing the language that we need to speak in it. We're developing the muscles we need to move around in the age to come. We're living life in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit. The announcement, and then there's a warning, though. If we go back to Acts 13, or an invitation, I'm sorry, in verse 38. Those are just the facts. This has happened underneath our noses. 2,000 years ago to you and I, as we're hearing the sermon, this has happened. Jesus went from Galilee to Jerusalem. The culmination of his kingdom efforts died and resurrected. The invitation, verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is free, is justified, is made right from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So the Israelites were given the law, the Torah, and it, it reigned in the present evil age in a sense. It kind of put boundaries on it. it. It was like a, Paul calls it later in Galatians, he calls it a schoolmaster. He calls it a teacher, a babysitter. It kind of watched over them the best it could, but they were crazy out of control kids. All you can really do is do your best. And, and the law couldn't really fix everything that was wrong with creation. But now it's here. It's here, life to be experienced. The invitation to live in the age to come has started and is continuing with the resurrection of Jesus. We might wonder how, how would one get into this? I mean, how does one get transferred from one domain to the next? You see it here. I think Acts 2 gives us the clearest picture. You'll remember a while back, uh, approximately 17 sermons ago, we were in Acts chapter 2, and we had another little diagram the four steps that Peter gives after he's asked, what must I do to be saved? And he says, repent, commit, be baptized, receive the Spirit. And the Savior will pull you out. You'll be in a new reality, a new type of existence. And we also noted at that time that, that this cycle kind of continues to keep going. It's not like a one-off event. 
it's, it's, it's a continual step um, for you to take as you seek to more and more walk in the Spirit and leave behind the works of the flesh. As you seek to more and more practice the, the life in the kingdom that's arrived. And so repentance is not just something you do when you first believe. You and I are constantly having to repent. If you're anything like me, having to say, I've got to turn from that. I've got to stop doing that. I've got to stop thinking that. And we're constantly having to further commit ourselves to Jesus, to his teachings, to following him. Now, baptism is a one-off event, but that's something that we can remember and appropriate fresh to our lives. And then the Spirit is, again, something we pray to be further filled with the Spirit, for him to further guide us and fill us and move us. And it's a continuing cycle. So Paul announces it, then he invites his, his hearers into this, this new life, into this new creation. I wonder for you and I, if sometimes we're happy believing it intellectually and not experiencing it in our lives. Or maybe not happy about it, but just kind of resigned to it. And we read in Acts, and they're so filled with the Spirit. And we're just like, that's not our life. That's not my life. And, and we're resigned to not participate in the realities of Jesus' kingdom. And I don't think we should resign to that. I think we should, again, be invited in. And should, if we find ourselves on the outside, we should repent. We should put our faith. We should ask for the Spirit. Continual process. So, announcement, invitation, then the warning, verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look at you scoffers, be astounded, you're going to perish. I'm doing a work in your days, a work which you wouldn't believe even if one tells it to you. There's always the option to reject the announcement and to reject the invitation, to turn down the invitation. In one sense, it seems like a logical thing to do. Here's a big problem with a lot of people when, when you really try to in, engage in what the New Testament authors believe, which is it's happening now, is among us. It's a real thing happening. Because we look at the world and go, that's kind of silly. Particularly 2,000 years later, it seems like there's a lot of, of bad stuff still out there. It seems like not much has really changed. It seems like things are how they've always been. If you look around, it seems like we can check off. We're in the present evil age. And in some of our own lives, I mean, even after maybe trying to be a Christian for a while, we look around and we go, I'm, not, I'm just not sure I'm in this reality. I mean, I've tried. I feel like I've tried. But it seems like I'm just kind of me. And on most days, I'm kind of a miserable person. Every now and then I do something good. But things are just as they've always been. There's this, there's this chance. There's this, there's this very real option to reject. To say, I can't invest in that. I can't believe that. Now, for these Jewish people at this time, it's a double rejection. Because not only are they rejecting the message, but, but what, what's so tragic to Paul, and he'll cry about it in Romans. I mean, he'll, he'll really cry about it is that this is what they've been hoping for. This is not like you and I who are raised in America and we like to shop and be happy and we're good. We don't spend every day reading the law and the prophets and waiting for the kingdom and the Messiah to come. They were just doing that. They were just reading the law and the prophets and waiting and hoping and praying and saying, please come fulfill your promises. And Paul's saying, wake up. It's happened right here in front of you. You're missing out. You're going to let the train go by you. And the warning is, notice on, on just the diagram, 
With Jesus' resurrection, the present evil age is put on notice. The clock is ticking. Time is running out. This will not always be what's allowed in creation. The actions and habits of the present evil age, as well as those who participate in them, will not be allowed to continue indefinitely. It's a train that's headed for a horrible crash. And if you stay on that train, Paul and the the rest of the New Testament authors would say, you can't expect anything other than that crash. This will not go on for all of eternity. When Jesus returns, only one of these trains is going to keep on going. Which is why Paul is so firm on, you need to to evaluate your life. If everything in your life is, is the works of the flesh and is telling you you're still in the present evil age, you need to do something about it. Because you're not going to magically get pulled off when the train ends. The warning is, if you miss out on this, what's coming for you is, is not good. Sin, naturally, by nature, it produces death. In fact, Romans 1 said, God doesn't even really have to punish you. He just lets you do it. It's like a chemical reaction. That's what sin does. It produces death. It destroys. And that's what's coming for those who, who reject the message and, and stay in, in the present evil age. So you have the announcement. You have the invitation. You have the warning. We keep reading, and, and we'll see kind of the three of these continue to play out. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul for reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Remember, they go to the Jews first. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, again, think eternal life that they're supposed to be having now, the life of the new age. You've proven you're not ready for this. Now we go to other people. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, this is awesome, they rejoiced. They're like, sweet, we're in. (laughs) Glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We'll wrap up this morning by noticing at the end of chapter 13, there are three distinct people groups. The first people group are those who have not believed. They have, they've rejected the message, and, and they're actually kind of aggressive towards it. They're, they're stirring up persecution toward the disciples and the apostles. They have not believed. The second people group are those who have believed. They're those who've heard the message, had it ignite something in their souls, in the very depths of their being, and they've repented, they've had faith, and we see them at the end of the chapter full of joy and of the Holy Spirit. They're in. They're on board. They're now involved in, in the salvation that God is doing through, through his son. The third people group are Paul and Barnabas, who wipe their feet and now scurry off to another city. Do it again. I want to ask this morning, which people group do you find yourself in? Do you find yourself, as of today, not able to believe it? And like a real belief 
maybe you can say the words, but, but you don't truly think that you have the Spirit. The same, I mean, Romans 8, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of us. And at the end of the day, when you're on your bed, no one else is around, you can't truly, in the core of your being, believe that all of God's rescue has started, and you're involved, and you're experiencing it and reaping the benefits. That's a people group. There's some who did not believe. The second group, they're on board. Despite the evidence around them, despite their doubts, they've said, what else can I do but believe? This is the best news in the world. And they repent, they have faith, they're baptized, and, and they have joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it could not get better for these folks. And then the third group, Paul and Barnabas. Not only did they experience God's salvation, but now they're sharing it. Now they're being conduits of the message, going to other people. They're traveling all over the place, but for you and I, it could be going to family members, to coworkers, and announcing, inviting saying something's happening. I want you to be a part of it. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to not notice what's happening around you. The new age has started. I mean, notice when the apostles, here's what's happening when the apostles encounter sickness in Acts. You have two ages pressing up against each other. The present evil age is characterized by sickness. Bodies don't work very well. Minds don't work very well. But what happens in the new age? Things are healed. The apostles meet a lame man. Two plates start touching, and the age of the kingdom comes in, and it's healed. The dead person is raised. That person's forgiven. They find healing. They find wholeness. So the question this morning, maybe where we leave off, we've got to acknowledge Paul here, he's an A-list speaker, all right? If there's anyone we should listen to, it's, it's, it's this guy. Can we hear his sermon? Can we, can we think about where we are on this? And once again, today, we realize the salvation, accept the invitation to repent of all the things that have been dragging us down that will lead us to death, to put our faith in him, and to experience his spirit. And then, perhaps we could all make that jump to the third, the third people group, to Paul and Barnabas, where we're sharing, where we're telling, where we can't help but to let others know about what has happened and is happening. Let's pray together. Father, we, we love you and we thank you for um, what you've done in the world. Um, I ask that you would just get us excited, um, that, that this would not be an intellectual game to us, but this would be something that's happened. I mean, it's, it's physically actually happened in history and continues to happen now. I pray that that would just fire something up inside of us that makes us unsatisfied with anything except the fullness of who you are. That we would seek single-mindedly to experience and to know you, to be known by you. I pray, Father, that you would um, fill us with your spirit, that you would guide us and mold us, that you would prepare us, help us learn the language, help us build the muscles that we need to live in your new kingdom. We, we above all, Father, give you the praise for what you've done. We glorify the Son for his work on our behalf. We praise the Spirit for His ministry among us. And we ask that you would once again meet us and be with us. It's in your Son's beautiful name that all God's people prayed. Amen.